Well, thank you for being here. Uh, let me tell you a little bit where I was this last week, and then we'll, we'll look at the series. Uh, Sunday, after preaching four services here, I headed to Denver and flew out really, really early Monday morning for Haiti. And so I went into, uh, went into Haiti with the intent, and I did, with the intent of, of preaching a graduation service for, for 25 pastors that graduated from a Bible institute. And and got to stay at the, the mission that our church has been working on there in Port-au-Prince. And, and it's just, an, it's just Haiti is just a third world country. And I, I, I just, so much I'll tell you about it later, uh, you know, at another time. But, and then I traveled seven hours into the mountains of Haiti, which is four and a half or five hours away from any electricity. And just went into this village. Uh-huh that is just so depressed, and no running water, no electricity. And uh, we got there late because, you know, the, we rented a car, which is an interesting deal, and it's three Americans and a Filipino, and we're on like this four-wheel drive-style road, and we, you know, we prayed over the vehicle, and we do all that stuff, and, and uh, we got stuck in the mud in the middle of just no, nowhere. And... Uh, and so we didn't know what was going to happen. And so all of a sudden, four, three Haitians dr- came up on one motorcycle, because that's how they do things over there. And, they, and we're like, this could go one way or the other. And so it, and, uh, it went in a good way, and they helped us out. And, and it was just an answer to prayer and went into this village and got in late. We were supposed to do the graduation the next morning and got in late, and they heard that a stranger was there, and he was a preacher. And so word got out in the village and in the community, and they, they came and to my interpreter and said, would you would like to do a worship service? Would, would you preach? And so I said, sure. And it was just the, one of the most humbling experiences when, uh, when you, you go into like a hut with, uh, it's just a hut with a, with a lantern because they have no electricity, and you watch them in worship. And you watch how engaged they are in worship. And I'm standing there in front of the worship leader. With, he had a bullhorn. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm watching, I'm listening to all this. And, and you think about the sermons we preach in the U.S. versus the sermons that we preach over there. And see, in the U.S., we're just trying to convince people that God is your hope and that God is everything. We're just trying to convince people to serve him and give their life to him and radically follow him. You go into Haiti and you go into a third world country, they know he's all they have. And the way they serve him and the joy, they have nothing and they're giving and they're giving of their lives and they're giving of their resources. They want to see people come to Christ and and then talk to these 25 pastors that we did. And so it's just an unbelievable experience and an unbelievable thing that God is doing in missions through our church, whether it's Africa, whether it's Haiti, whether it's the, the Dominican or wherever. And you share in that by being a part of this fellowship and being a part of this church. And so this morning I want to talk to you about a subject that is very dear to my heart and something that, that God has been stirring in a long time. You know we've been in this series called Shaken. 
And we've been looking at this, at this issue of, in the, in the Old Testament, the Scripture, and there's some questions that are answered and asked uh, as far as what does the righteous do? What do the believers do when their foundations have been shaken? What happens when their foundations and, and the world or the society or whatever, and they go through difficult times? How do Christians respond in those? How are they supposed to respond? And so we've been going through 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through chapter 5, verse by verse, and we've been looking at this subject. Paul begins answering this question. He starts using words like, well, we know, and we're guaranteed, and we're certain, and we're confident, and, and, and be very confident because, because um, God is with us, and we don't lose heart, and we don't give up because God is with us, and God is all that we have. And today, in this, we're going to look at a, a subject. We're going to look at a, a title of this message, just, just be faithful. And it's learning to be faithful in all seasons of your life. In every season of our life, we're supposed to be faithful what the Scripture tells us. And so the Bible talks about And Paul kept saying, just be faithful unto death. Just be faithful unto death. Just be faithful unto death. Just, just know that He is with you. Just, just be, we're guaranteed of a life to come. We're guaranteed of these things. And just learn to be faithful. The fact is, Solomon says this. Solomon says, it's, it, it's not so important how you start out your life as much as how you end up your life. So Solomon would talk about this subject and talk about the final season in your life, the final chapter in your life could be your most influential, could be your most important. But sadly, today, a lot of Christians, when they hit those retirement age years, that's when they back away from the church. That's when they begin to retire from ministry or they retire from life and they're no longer engaged. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of being faithful in all seasons of your life. But more importantly, what does the final season look like? Does the scriptures even talk about this, be faithful unto death? And so what is the what is the final chapter of our lives? How is that supposed to look like in our lives? And Billy Graham in his book, Nearing Home, Life, Faith, and, and Finishing Well, Billy Graham, 94 years old, writes this paragraph. He said, I never thought I'd live to be this old. All my life I was taught how to die as a Christian. But no one ever taught me how I ought to live in the years before I die. I wish they had because I'm an old man now. And believe me, it is not easy. I mean, when you look at it, there's numerous ads from like financial uh, companies and financial advisors about how to pre prepare financially for the retirement years so that you're able to get to 65 and, and have the resources and the stuff that you need to have to do the things that you want to do. But unfortunately, not a lot of people talk to us about how to prepare for the final seasons of life spiritually. And so I begin to ask this question and say, is there anywhere in Scripture that really talks about this to where like an older man or an older woman looked back over their life and they were in the final season of their life, the final stages of their life, and they begin to speak into this. You see, we live in a culture that's all about self, right? We live in a culture to where our culture, it's all about us. It's all about our happiness and our needs and our desires and all of that. As a matter of fact, they've just... Uh, uh, acknowledged a new word, and they've just introduced a new word into the dictionary. You know what the word is? Selfie. You know what a selfie is? A selfie is those people that go to their bathroom, right, and take pictures of themselves in the mirror, and then they post it online. Look at me. Look at my muscles. Look at my abs. Look at my pecs. Look at my, look at my outfit. Look at my hair. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And they post it on, on Facebook. They post it on Twitter. And so we become a culture of selfies, and we've become a culture in this time of just look at me that it's all about me. And so I begin looking about this issue. And does, does anybody speak of this issue in the scriptures about how we're to live that final stage, that final season of our life? 
And Moses is the man that I went to for his wisdom. Psalms chapter 90 is the only psalm that Moses wrote. In fact is, he wrote this psalm a hundred years before David even began writing of the psalms. And he begins talking about this issue. Moses is writing Psalms 90. He's an old man at this point. Remember, God called him to a task at the age of 80. Talking about your final season of life. God called him at age 80, and he served God in that season for 40 years, 120 years of age is when he died. And he begins looking back over his life. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can go. Psalms chapter 90, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. Here's what Moses writes. Lord, you have been my dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever uh, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are my God. Now listen, Moses had a lot of experiences in his life. And for those of you that, that are Bible students or those of you that have been in church for a while and you know Moses' life, but, but for those of you that don't and, and, and may not know a lot about his life, that is okay. And let me just tell you some things about Moses' life. Moses was this, this, this pampered prince that, 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 was, that became a... Uh, a lowly shepherd, and so he had some, some drastic changes in his life. He was, a, he was a much maligned leader when he led two million Jews to freedom, and they criticized him, and they, they talked about him, and they rebelled against him. And so all of a sudden, Moses begins looking back over his tumultuous life, and, 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 and all of a sudden, Moses begins to say in the Psalms some very important things, and he said some things like we just read, that, that God, you're the everlasting God. You're everlasting to everlasting. You're the everlasting God. And so all of a sudden, Moses says, you know what, as I look back over my life, I realize, God, you were just always there. And God, you were like my dwelling place. God, you were there when my mother left me in a basket on the Nile River. And someone found me. God, you were there in that, that pagan palace. When I learned how to lead and I learned how to administrate. And I learned how to, how to respond to royalty and not let them threaten me. That that was preparing me for another season of my life when I would go to Pharaoh and say, just let my people go. God, you were there at one of my, one of my darkest moments. Remember his darkest moments? One of them, he had a bunch. Remember one of them? When he killed the Egyptian taskmaster, the foreman, and he killed him, and he tried to cover it up and hide him in the sand. Moses said, God, you were there when I went to Pharaoh and all the miracles. And the, the, the scripture says that you lifted me up so that you, your power could be shown through me. And God, you were there when we escaped and, and, and you parted the Red Sea. And, and God, you were even there in the wilderness. You were there in the wilderness times of my life. And you led me by night, by a pillar of fire and by day, by a cloud and Psalms 90, verse 1 in, in the New Living says, Lord, through all the generations you have, and you've been our home. And so, it, you know, if you're over 50, especially if you're over 60, uh, we've witnessed a lot of unsettling changes in our lifetime, right? I mean, with computer technology, the way that we communicate with one another, I mean, you know, computer technology just travels so fast, and, and about the time you try to understand your modem and the internet and all that stuff, then they change it, and then smartphones comes out, and about the time you learn a software and you learn how to use that software, then what do they do? They update it, and you've got to learn it again, and, and the older you get, the more difficult that is, and then, then the whole texting thing, and, and that you communicate by text, and we, co we communicate differently. I mean, technology is rapidly changing the world that we communicate with each other. 
each other in entertainment and all those other things. Then you begin looking at the moral values of our country, and the moral values of our country are changing drastically and dramatically. And all of a sudden you look at political correctness, and political correctness seems to have trumped common sense in our world. And, And some of us, we just hardly even recognize our country anymore with the values and with the slide and then uh, of values. And then, and then, you know what? And the older you get, especially in the final season, your mind is not as reliable as it, as it once was, right? It's easier to forget things and it's hard to, harder to remember where you put your car keys and some other things. Uh, Bob Russell is, is a pastor, is a mentor of mine, and, and Bob just turned 70. And Bob told me, Charlie, man, the older you get, I mean, sometimes you, your mind's just not as reliable as it once was. He said, I met my buddies for golf, and, and he lives in Louisville, Kentucky. And when Bob retired, his church was, was, was 30,000 people. He, he stayed at that church for 45 years. He pastored the same church. He said, I met my buddies for golf, and we went and played golf, and we ate lunch together, and, and, I, and we went back. Five hours later, we go back to, to get in our cars, and I'm going through my golf bag, and I can't find my car keys, and I'm looking for my car keys, cannot find my car keys, look in my car, and there are my keys. The keys are in the ignition, and then I realized my car was running. Five hours, I left my car running. He said, so some of those things can just, just unsettle us. And then you know what? Then as Christians, it, that we can, we can go into the church, and then there's changes in the church, right? And there's, there's drums, and there's guitars, and there's lights, and there's a lot of sound, and there's video screens, and there's words on the screens. There's, there's cup holders in the seats that can even unsettle us, and there's jeans on the platform and untucked shirts, and, and leather-bound Bibles are being replaced with iPads and iPhones, and And for some, in the later stages of their life, that can all be unsettling. And then another thing, people around us, they begin to get cancer and get sick, and they begin to to die. And Moses, in verse 3, writes, and he says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night you sweep away... As a flood, they, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes. It's renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. And all of that can, all of that can make us insecure if we're not careful. Four things we need to remember, especially. I mean, we need to be faithful to him in all seasons of life. But let me just give you four things that we need to remember in the, in the final season, final chapter of life. And for those of you that are younger, this, this sermon has a lot of application for you as well. First thing is this. In the final season of life, we need to remember my security is in God. My security, our security is in God. In fact, is that's one constant reminder that Moses had that God is there. And God was there in his deepest moments and his hurts and his pain. And God was there in the celebrations of life. And so Moses says, verse 1 out of the ESV, he says, Lord, you have been our, you have been our dwelling place in, in all generations. In other words, you, you don't change like shifting shadows. Hebrews 6.19 says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place by, behind the curtain. And one of the key thoughts that I just wrote is, Since my ultimate security is in God, therefore I will be flexible and unthreatened by a rapidly changing world. See, the danger is, in in a final season, the danger is the older that we grow, or the older that we, we, we get or we become, we become resistant to change because change makes us insecure. And even changes that are positive, we can result because it's kind of an insult to the way we've 
done things. I mean, I, I, I know some older people that are just, just brilliant. But they refuse to learn to text to their children or to their, to their grandchildren because it's awkward to them or because it's difficult. Well, of course it is. It's new to you. See, it's your children, your, your, your grandchildren's first language. It's your second language. So it is awkward. I remember when texting came out, and it frustrated me to no end that I would call my daughters, and they would send me to voicemail. I mean, you know, you can tell when you've been sent to voicemail. It, like, only rings once, and boom, you're, you're in voicemail. And so I know they sent me to voicemail. And then I text them, and what do they do? They answer you right back, and they'll have a conversation. And so there's a period in my life that just made me angry. That just frustrated me because, you know what? I wanted to communicate by voice. They want to communicate by text. And there's some things about text I didn't understand. I didn't even like. I mean, seriously, you really laughed out loud? <laughs> seriously? I don't believe that. And so you know what? I refuse to write LOL. I won't do it because I didn't laugh out loud. I go L-O-T-I, laughing on the inside because I can do that with integrity. <laughs> and so, you know, the thing that I hated about texting was this. I never knew when the conversation was over. How do you know the conversation's over on text? See, with the younger generation, they just kind of know it's over when it's over. But I never understood that. So I made my daughters go hanging up now. That way I knew... <laughs> I'm serious. I knew the conversation is done. We've said all we needed to say. I've answered you because if not, you text me, I'm answering you back. You text me and it, it just keeps going. It's endless. And I had a decision to make. You know what? I can either communicate with their language and get to communicate with them or be angry and resentful and bitter that they wouldn't communicate to me the way I wanted them to communicate with me. See, your quality in life can be diminished because of your inflexibility. And listen, as we get older, we can gripe about all the changes. And, and you know what we can miss? We can miss relationships. We can miss worship. And we can miss what God is doing. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of changes that are really good. And it's not about changing doctrine. It's not about changing the Bible. It's about methods and Man, there's some translations that have been really good from the old King James to the NLT and the ESV and the NIV. And, and there's some praise songs that are being written right now that just speaks to your, speak to your heart. And, and we need to remember our security is in God. And he is our refuge and he is our strength. It's written in, in Psalms 46.1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present of help and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though earth gives way, and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns and the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts, the Lord of hosts is with us, and God of Jacob is our, is our fortress, and our security is in God. And he is our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 7 out of Psalms 90 says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your, by your wrath, we are well, you're dismayed. And, and why, 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 why would Moses write that our security was in God and then turn around and say, but we're terrified by your anger. Now, verse 8 
Verse 8 actually answers that, and it brings us to the second principle. Verse 8 says this. We have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins are in the light of your presence. Uh, our security is in God, and the second thing is this. My sins are many. My security is in God, and my sins are many. See, Moses is in an elderly age, and he's beginning to look back at all the seasons of his life, and, and all of a sudden, Moses realizes all of his sins of the past. Moses realizes all of the things that he's done wrong, and Moses realizes that even his secret sins, even his sins that he thought only he knew about, when he killed the Egyptian taskmaster, the foreman, and he hit him in the sand, and and he realized God knew. And Moses, when you look at his life and when you study his life, he, he battled with anger all of his life. And it caused him to say some things to some people that he shouldn't have said. It caused him to smash the Ten Commandments when he got angry at the way that the Israelites were throwing a party when he was up on the mountain. Anger caused him to lash out at God and to lash out at some people and just strike a rock, not in faith, but in, but in anger. In verse 11, he goes on, who considers the power of your anger and your, your wrath according to the fear of you? And, and you know what? I, I think it's true. The older we get, the more we are aware of our sins the more we are aware of the different seasons of life and, and our sins. I mean, it was the prophet Isaiah that sit in worship when he saw God as God really was. He said, woe is me. And I'm, I'm a man. And I'm a man of, of unclean lips. Isaiah had a problem with his mouth. Young believers, immature believers, tend to compare themselves with other peoples to help them feel better about themselves. But seasoned believers, mature believers, compare themselves to God's holiness and God's perfection. And they become increasingly aware of how much they need him. They become increasingly aware that their sins are, are many. And for some, it's kind of discouraging to enter into the final chapter, the final season of their life, and they sometimes think that I thought I was going to be more mature than this, more spiritual than this. And then watch Moses pleads in verse 13 and 14, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that, may we, that, we may be, that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our life. And so all of a sudden, here's this hint of hope that Moses starts helping us understand and he helps himself to understand that our sins may be many, but they are forgiven. Our sins may be many, but they are forgiven. And that's why Paul in Romans chapter 7, you can read it for yourself later, we don't have time to read the text, but Paul in, cha in Romans chapter 7 writes and he says, there's a season in my life that the good that I wanted to do, I could not do. And the things that I said that I would never do, that I would stop doing, those are the things that I ended up doing. And Paul said, what a wretched man am I. And in Romans chapter 8, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul said and what Moses says, because Paul was looking back over his life. and says, my sins may be many, but my sins are forgiven. And my sins are taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2.15 says, and deliver all those who, who through fear of death were subject to the lifelong slavery. And so what Moses was saying, what Paul was saying, what we could say, is that I'm going to trust God's promises are true. That though your sins, though my sins may be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Verse 10, Moses goes on, he says, The years of our life are 70 or even are even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and, they, and we will fly away. What does he mean by this? What does he even mean by this statement? What Moses is saying is this. He says the average lifespan is anywhere between 70 and 80 years of age is what he's writing. Now Moses lived to 120 years of age, but his life was different, and there's a special calling on his life. But what Moses is saying is this. Is, well, this life quickly passes this life is a, is, is a mist. This life is a breath. This life is, is, is short. And when we go through some difficult times, when we go through some hurt and some pain, it's a remembrance of, guess what? This life is short. And Moses says, just teach us. Teach us to remember. Teach us to number the days of our life. Teach us to remember, regardless of the season of life that we're in, this life at its very best is brief. God, teach us to number the days of our life so we will live faithfully in every season of life. So we will be faithful unto death. Lord, help us just to take the days that we have left, whatever the number is, and be faithful. See, you don't gain wisdom automatically. You don't gain wisdom just by growing old. It is something that is developed. It is something that is learned. Fact is, there are some people that get even more foolish the older they get, right? Remember J. Howard Marshall, the billionaire? He was 90-something years old, and he marries Anna Nicole Smith. She's 26 years of age. And he said, she told me, she's not marrying me for my money. Well, there's a saying that goes back, I think it was in the 1600s, there's no fool like an old fool. And there's some people that they get, just get more foolish with age. But Moses is like, Lord, just teach us. Teach us to number the days and make every day count. If we're not careful, if you're not careful... You'll complain about the season of life that God has placed you in now. And we can complain like the Christmas season. We can complain about the Christmas. I hate the Christmas season. It's just so busy, so hectic. You got family. Family doesn't get along. And we get together and we got this problem. And then we're busy. And there's a Christmas shop and there's putting up a tree. There's lights. There's all these Christmas parties. And we're just so busy. And we can either complain about that or we can have gratitude and thank God for the friends. And thank God for family. And thank God that we have resources to buy gifts and to celebrate Christmas and all of those other things. See, Moses is trying to help us to understand that we should celebrate every season of life. And in that season, whatever that season looks like in our life, we should just be faithful to him. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. 
that we may rejoice. Two words are circled in my Bible. Rejoice and be glad. We may re rejoice and be glad some of our days, some of the seasons. We should rejoice and be glad in all of our days. In other words, my life is brief. My life is a gift. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad. And to the very best of my ability, I'm going to make every day count. And he goes on in verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. As far as many years if we have seen evil, what a, what a strange request, right? We should be glad when we've been afflicted and full of trouble. And, I mean, for us, that's an occasion to gripe and complain. None of us mind standing in line as long as, so long as we can gripe about it, right? You ever notice that? You stand in line Christmas shopping. You know how you make the time pass? People will turn around and gripe to you about why aren't more registers open? Didn't they know it's Christmas? Why is this taking so long? How come they don't know how to change the paper in the cash register? All of that other stuff, right? See, we don't mind waiting. We don't mind difficult seasons as long as we get to gripe about it. And Paul, I mean, Moses is saying, well, he's saying the same thing that the writer of Deut Deuteronomy, I think it is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. When the writer of Deuteronomy starts talking about how the, the mother eagle when it's time for the, the eaglets to, to fly, that the mother eagle starts taking out all the, the rabbit's fur out of the nest, so the nest is now prickly and, and uncomfortable, so that the, the birds will want to fly from the nest. And you know what Moses is saying? Moses is saying this, that in the aging process, and that we're, like Paul would say, we're outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That it's, it's a reminder to us that one day we're going to be with him. And one day that this world is short and this world is brief. But outwardly we may be wasting away. But what Paul said, and we looked at last week, to be absent from the body is to, to be with him. And, you know, maybe just a brief word to those of you that are younger Include some older people in, in your circle of casual friends. Titus, the second chapter, tells us that the older Christians of a church are supposed to mentor the younger. But they can't mentor you if you're so insecure that you won't give them the time of the day. They can't mentor you if you're so arrogant that you don't think they have anything that they can teach you. You may know a lot more about cell phones and smartphones and the internet and Twitter and Facebook than they do, but I promise you, your grandmother, your grandfather, the older people in your church, know more about life and God and experiences than you do. That's why Paul encouraged Titus. And maybe a word to the older people 
That's why this church needs you. That's why we need you in ministry. That's why we need you engaged in this church. That's why we need you in life groups. Because the younger generations needs to hear that God is your dwelling place. And God was there with you through all seasons of life. Job 12.12 says this. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in the in the length of the days. And Moses goes on in verse 16 and says, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power, look at this, your glorious power to their children. When you're younger and when you're willing to include some people older in your circle of relationships and friends, you may gain some valuable wisdom that you may have never discovered. And you know what you may discover? That they are more fun to be with than some of the spoiled, inexperienced youth you're hanging around with. And he goes on and says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us Yes, look at it. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses is over 80 years old. He's still being faithful. He's still serving. And he's saying, Lord, establish the work of my hands. And he said, Lord, would your favor rest on me so that I can have influence? The last thing is this, is my contribution still matters. My contribution, my security is in God. My sins are many, my life is brief, and my contributions still matter. I mean, it's an amazing thing. President Reagan. President Reagan was the oldest president ever elected as president. He was 69 years of age, elected as president. One of the most difficult jobs, one of the most stressful jobs, one of the most demanding jobs of our nation. Joe Biden, our vice president, 71 years of age. Uh, Hillary Clinton, I think she just turned 67 years of age. It is rumored and is talked about that in a couple of years she's going to run for president. That is so convicting to me because why do people, why are people willing to serve our country longer and more, with more passion than most Christians are willing to serve the local church? Your upcoming chapter may be your greatest opportunity of Christian service. Your contribution, my contribution still matters. I took a mission team, a medical mission team, six or seven years back to the Dominican Republic. One of the ladies that traveled with us, her name was Jane Bennett. Jane Bennett, 71 years of age at the time, one of the most demanding mission trips I'd ever been on. We walked a lot. I mean, it was just the stuff. We worked at a Haitian, uh, uh, the dump out of Santo Domingo, a Haitian refugee camp. The Haitians lived off the dump, and they had AIDS and malnourishment and everything else. They ate the food that the, that the, the people in the Dominican Republic threw away. And we served them there on the, on the dump. And I still remember Jane Bennett, 71 years of age, tears in her eyes, says, I've lived my whole life for this. I cannot believe at my age I'm just discovering this and I can serve him. And she went to Israel with us and she went to other places with us. Listen, your contribution still matters. 
where we say things like, I will be faithful to him unto death. I will find a ministry and I will serve him and I will mentor younger Christians. I will speak truth into their life. I will get involved in the life group. I will get involved in ministry. Oh, and I will talk to people about Jesus and I will continue to, I will continue to witness. Listen, you know what I'm learning? The older you get, the more patience people have with you, right? I mean, you know, you can say some awkward stuff the older you get and people say, you know what, they're just missing some stuff in their frontal lobe. You know, when you get to that age... And so that means you can be as aggressive as possible of inviting people to church and tell them about your faith. Listen, I'm telling you, the younger generation needs to hear that God was there. And God was there in your life when you went through some challenges in parenting. And you didn't think you'd get through it. And God got you through it. They need to hear that God was there when the economy struggled and you went through some difficulty. They need to hear when you went through some pain and some hurt and some disappointment. They need to hear that when God was there when you went through maybe some marriage struggles or some health issues. They need to hear that God was there in every season of your life. They need to hear that your faith sustains you through every season of your life. And that's how you leave a legacy to come. Moses, when... When God told him at 120 years of age to go up to Mount Nebo to, to die, and it's, it's so interesting to me that on that day, when the pharaohs were building huge pyramids as, as monuments to themselves, selfies, that God was going up to bury Moses in an unmarked grave. But don't feel sorry for Moses. He is not at Mount Nebo. His spirit has flown away to be with the Father. And it was evidenced years later when he appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and in the Promised Land. So Moses climbed up on the mountain, it was a climb to glory. Because God had been his dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. May we age in such a way that our final years will be a climb to glory. And may we be faithful unto death. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?